Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey! And Jeff. Yellow. It's the end of the fall 2019 season. I, I Someday I will stop having to do the math in my head during like a brief, like, slow motion terror dream panic attack of trying to figure out what season it is <laughs> uh it's winter now so f- it was fall before is how it works and i will internalize that someday uh speaking of things that take place in winter i think that the big one that both duncan and i have talked interminably about in this podcast is vinland saga duncan vinland saga hot or not hmm 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 <laughs> Uh, is this, like, is this you, mic on? You Hello? The, you picked the perfect way. Like, I, 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 I'm not sure, like, hot is ever something I, I, you would use to describe anything that happens in Vinland Saga. I don't know. Sometimes incidental characters talk about how much, like, a woman Canute looks like in, like, a sexy way. And that's not hot. That's know. not. Actually, actually, it is a remarkably chaste anime by anime's weird standards. I don't think we've had anyone leering over anyone's chest, which is like just a weird. Because there's, there's not that many women. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe maybe that's it. But yeah, yeah. Compared- I think I think it plays by JoJo's rules of where if there's no hot women, then like beefcakes flexing at each other becomes the fan. I was going to say my, so. my my immediate uh, cold weather uh, uh, homoerotic go to would be Golden Camry. So it's just like <laughs> it, it's, oh, I miss it, Golden Camry. Uh, yeah. And, well, speaking of things, Duncan sighs tiredly at me when I say that. Well, yeah. Speaking of uh, well-regarded adaptations, which end in adventures, will continue. Um, let's get let's get on with this. Um, so, so yeah, I was really down about this, and the last three or four episodes, probably the last three episodes, are really good. They're yep. very tight. They're very they're very psychological. Lots of intrigue. Um, the characters are put to the test, and like really put back on their heels and it's really it for all of my whinging about about how poorly Ashkelad's arc is handled him in the last two or three episodes where it's like if this arc had been handled better of him being a mercenary captain who's clever who gets in over his head in politics and kind of finds his groove for this like last great you know I don't know con kind of like, that was great, and I wish it had been set up better, and I wish we hadn't heard his backstory about being the child of a slave twice, because once would have been more effective. But yeah, I really I really enjoyed this, and it's the kind of psychological drama that I expected from Vinland Saga, mm-hmm. and we didn't get for a big chunk of the middle, because it was really focused on the most boring character and his ridiculous, laughable man pain. And I mean, maybe that's what turned me around on the anime was having Ashkelad be like you're a dumbass dude <laughs> 10 years and you haven't managed to kill me <laughs> get good uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a merciless dressing down for Thorfinn in that that final moment it's like Ashkelad's been in stabbed he's dying and yet he's still there uh, basically giving Thorfinn both bowels about just how pathetic he is not uh, focusing his entire life around Ashkelad and saying do you not have any idea of what you're going to do now? Because your revenge is, is pointless now. What? I mean, it was always pointless, was I think his, his yeah. ultimate upshot. He's like, I get you. Look, I had to kill the person who who uh, physically endangered my parent. 
Um, so I know how you feel, but also like, have you thought about like farming or doing anything besides just being the angry kid who follows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. I think still the worst part of the the, the final three episodes uh, was a, a Thorfinn bit, which was uh, they they cut in this uh, shot of a dagger falling down and superimposed scenes from throughout the series onto it. Oh god! Uh, yeah, like a, a a dagger flashback as as Thorfinn's previous life falls from his grasp and as he's pulled away. It's funny because I was watching that with my girlfriend, who apparently has the habit now. Of just watching the last two episodes of whatever I'm binging <laughs> frantically to make for the podcast, starting with Kiz, Kizniver. Uh, but she saw that and she's like, oh, that's really artistic. I'm like, oh, no, it's so out of tone. And it's, it's we already had, like, the emotionally resonant moment. They, <laughs> I don't understand why shows have to be like, remember, this is a series. Look at all the things you saw. I mean, uh, I was worried with speaking of things we'll be talking about in the future. High score girl threatened to do like the last episode be partially a recap episode. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you're on Netflix. Like if I wanted <laughs> to see the old shit, I could just put on a different episode. Please use your time better. Yeah. I mean, um, I think the one of the things that the, these final three episodes did, which have been absent from definitely the, um, the end of the, f- the first arc and the beginning of the second was that it it got its pacing down pretty much on point and as you say like being able to concentrate on plotting and character interactions was a just and not have to just be everything a build up into a huge duel or a fight was just refreshing i can't remember what uh, last time uh, we recorded. Had we talked about uh, Bjorn's death? No, we hadn't. What What were your feelings on that? Do you think it was handled well? Um, I'm gonna pull a very <laughs> classic Ben here and say, I think it could be handled better, but it didn't <laughs> like piss me off like so much of the the middle chunk of the show. I like the fact that like as Bjorn's dying, he's bummed because. He considered Ashkelad his friend, and he apparently is the only person who took to heart Ashkelad's speech about how, like, I hate I hate all Norsemen. Mm-hmm. They are, like, smelly animals, and the world will be a better place when every single one of them is dead. And Bjorn's like, well, now that I'm dying defending you, that those words kind of hurt. And he's like, I, I really thought we were friends, and Ashkelad being like, no, no, we're friends. And I think it could have been more, I don't know, again... Hmm. too bad john's not here john's favorite thing of like guessing how it was in the manga (laughs) but i i i liked it for the bones of being a juxtaposition between how we relate to a people or a group and how we relate individually of i like the tension of ashkelad being being like there's one thing i hate and one thing i've devoted my life to uh one thing i've devoted my life to like fucking up and that's like the danes i hate the danes so much but you're my best friend and making that in a way of like not you you're the cool black person but uh but being like no like even just like it's a deeper friendship because even despite my hatred for the danes you're my only friend Mm -hmm. um i think a dane was i just wish it would have been better highlighted but this shows Mm -hmm. like the dialogue's all over the place all the time you never know if they're going to flub an emotional moment i mean i i I, I liked it partly because askeladd has just such strong self-loathing 
because he's half Dane, and mm-hmm. uh, the the idea that initially it was he he was a the bastard son of a, a Danish uh, lord who basically won the attention of said lord by attacking him in, in defense. He was his, trying to kill his mom. Yeah, <laughs> which is. Uh, a little bit contrived to say the least. It's but, very Vinland Saga, though. Yeah, but I do, I do like how it developed from that, from him like starting to fit into that uh, that social structure, and uh, like how his um, talent for fighting immediately marked him out as a, a favorite with the Lord, and saw him rise above his his siblings to sort of like be in command, and how. He hates that fact and levered it it in order to uh, kill his his father and to and then what does he do then he he all he's left with is the fact that he's a good the part of himself which he hates the most the fact that he's a a good fighter and commands loyalty from other Danes that's what becomes his life after that and and like f- finally now here in here with Bjorn is the last person he's last remaining survivor from his um his band of uh of yeah he sends that out he sends away the two guys who are still around and then has to mercy kill Bjorn and it's just like yeah he's the last one I mean I like that flashback a lot especially because it shows that his father Olaf which is I think a like the first straw that eventually leads Ashkelad to make the bid of killing King Svein so that Wales isn't invaded is having to be referred to as Ashkelad, son of Olaf, his father. But I think it's interesting how that flashback especially sets up that Ashkelad gets picked out because he's a mighty fighter, but the actual thing he should have been noticed for is how is how clever and like how mm-hmm. astute he is. And like it's the it's not one skill or the other. It's the fusion of those two skills that make him probably one of the most effectual characters in mm-hmm. the show. Yeah. Uh, and and it's what makes me resent the show for making him seem like a dumbass when he like doesn't know that his that his war band is going to revolt on him in in the middle section. Um, I mean, as, just... I, as, I, as I've talked about before, I think that the man- the way maybe it's just the way pacing works in manga comparative to uh, on screen that that felt a lot more slow brewing. But I, there's no denying that in the adaptation, it did feel like it came from as as, as I think you you said he got hit with a stupid stick suddenly and yeah. like just things just go wrong. Whereas in the manga, you get sense of this being his own form of self-destruction, which mirrors what um, Thorfinn's constant uh, uh, revenge, letting it get the better of him. And that, that's, that was like something which is signposted subtly in, in the manga, but is just like huge flags being waved in the background, in front yeah. of the camera in the anime. But we, we end with, like as, as we, you say, the death of King Swen and uh, Canute having changed from this incredibly ineffectual person to someone who um what's what's that what's that famous church will quote about um making them uh there's a opportunity in every crisis and like mm. the the and um 
Askeladd having changed the way uh, Canute thinks enough for him to be able to improvise what he's going to do and Canute to pick up on that. Yeah, and... no, it's it's great, and it it definitely takes off the like sh- the the shonen trope of being like, oh, he's doing this, that's really smart, but doing it for political stuff <laughs> is like good. And a lot of like one thing I liked a lot about the last four episodes is that they also do that with um the weird like dick measuring that that shonen protagonists do of like who's the most powerful and uh I forget who's who it is who's talking to uh to Thorkell mm. and he's like well if Thorfinn beat you and Ashkelad <laughs> beats him then Ashkelad is the strongest and at first it's just a Thorkell's joke but he's like what you saying that I'm the weakest of these three people and he's like no it's not like that like you're strong in different situations um and like you're 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 strong based on what part of you is tested and like people are composite beings of different skills and different circumstances and i think that's set up really well um like having having canute and ashkelad shine in these last few episodes and having thorfinn just kind of self-destruct in a really embarrassing way he gets in a really ugly street brawl and during like the ring giving ceremony where uh where Canute receives Mercia mm-hmm. from his father. Uh Thorfinn's just like sitting in a cell because he uh like with his face in the mud because he because he got his ass beat and he couldn't like obviously like obviously he's not strong. He's in jail because he fought with a bunch of randos yeah. uh for no reason. Um you- and I appreciated like because because Thorkell's has been so much of a joke this show and he's been enjoyable as like yeah. the one person who's not like oh I have angry feelings about my father but uh i mean maybe he does maybe they'll ruin him in the next arc or what but uh but but yeah i I really appreciated how well the show just suddenly clicked into focus and you had characters having incidental conversations that give the viewer the tools with which to frame what happens next and appreciate how it reveals things about the characters that's what i wanted from then i mean it's what i want from most media but it's what I wanted from Vinland Saga too. Did you uh, feel like uh, the like Thorfinn's uh, uh, self destruction in those uh, final couple of episodes seemed to have like a couple of triggers. Firstly, um, like obviously his his fight with um, Thorkell, then like his complete and utter beatdown by Askeladd, where he just he's he's still injured but wants to fight, and Askeladd's like, "Well, if you insist." And, and yeah, this... and then just and throws away his sword and beats the crap out of him with his fist. And he's like, "You've got a broken arm, bro." Yeah, and Ugh. and then um, we get sort of a, a more su- subtle gut punch for Thorfinn, which is the arrival of someone from his past, and the rem- reminder of the child he was and of the values his father espoused, and you get a sense that he has. Moments of recognition of how far he's 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 gone from that, but fundamentally he's still unable to get past that at this point. Sadly, and so we just until get... magic flashing dagger gave him yeah, some catharsis. He has like his big old temper tantrum at the end, which yeah, I mean <laughs> it sets it. What we were talking before or about. It's still unclear whether we're going to get the next arc done or not. 
Yeah, um, people thought that there was going to be a movie, but it ends up that that's possibly a mistranslation of a tweet that called the preview video of a displayed but not confirmed second season of at least one more core. They called that trailer a movie or it's not sure. I know that yeah. that Wit Studios staff has been saying that they that they're ready to adapt the whole freaking manga. Um, but I don't know. I don't even know the numbers. I haven't bothered to look up the yeah, numbers I on, mean, on this, but I can't imagine they're great unless they're fixing stuff in the Blu-ray, which often drives sales. Yeah, but. I mean, there's been, like... Outside our, our skepticism, it does seem like the series has more um, fans in, in the West than I, than I had thought, that, that more mm-hmm. people are what... That it is getting decent uh, viewing figures. Not quite, like, full... Um, big shonen figures but certainly sustainable if those translate into sales in japan yeah there's there's still not anything posted they the first volume came out on like i think i was on christmas eve so they really delayed this to to for some reason yeah well Um, so we'll we'll only know in the next in the next month or so if if this sells as well, or if this is just another yeah. example of Reddit building its Reddit and 4chan and mm-hmm. the internet building itself a bubble of, you know, yeah. gar anime. <laughs> well, the the only other thing is that the um, manga is making a distinct turn towards a conclusion at the moment, and so mm-hmm. there's the possibility that the the that the the publisher will be more keen on having an adaptation airing as it goes into its final uh, furlong. Yeah, so that's true. We could, like I I think the next um uh, arc which I think they they call Kettle's Farm is mm-hmm. like perhaps the strongest um because it's just like a coming to terms with who he has been and who he wants to be for Thorfinn in through work and through friendship, which is an interesting um, way of looking at the way someone can find purpose after depression. So, I, I, yeah, and I'm and I'm also happy if because I I think I I praised the show so strongly when it was first starting out for just like an ex warrior trying to run a farm is much more my shit than than a lot of the other stuff that followed yeah. it and if I mean, we have this nice mirroring of of Thorfinn trying to like not be like a rage-filled murder mm. ball all the time I mean I not it'd be a nice this trip diptych yeah I was going to say this is possibly mi- this is minor spoilers for season 2 if it ever happens um and I I'm sure you won't mind cuz it's just like the setup but just in case anyone does um uh, Thorfinn isn't is a uh, a bonded serf on the oh interesting on the f- farm because obviously he became a when he attacked Canute he becomes a, a, c- a criminal and is locked up and his and what happens is he's sold to this um, this farmer who uh, is um, a vassal of Canute and this is him um, working on his farm and. Uh, the, the things which surround him starting to think about freedom and what he had took for granted and what his father fought for in going to um, Greenland and what Leif sees in, in Vinland itself as a place where um, 
you can be properly free and not a uh, slave to anyone. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I hope they adapt it. Yeah. I'm also <laughs> interested in the manga, but I just... I don't know. Like, I've got a, a pretty large smartphone now. All smartphones <laughs> are large now, so I could probably, yeah. you know, invest in that. But, I don't know, I've just never been a comics guy. But, um, I mean, I think I, with this and with Golden Kamui and with a couple of others, I've definitely felt like I should just be reading the manga, <laughs> waiting for them to adapt it, and then having someone who's a fan of the manga say, yeah, this, is, this, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. So, shall we talk yeah. about an, another series we first heard uh, someone talking about the manga? In this case, Andy, he uh, espousing the virtues of something called High Score Girl. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to clear me out right early. I only watched four shows, and <laughs> and one of them is is ongoing. Uh, yeah. So I raved a lot about High Score Girl, approximately four episodes before the end. <laughs> um, and I am here to tell you that those four that 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 uh. That fifth episode of the second season is season is the high point. Um, it rapidly moves back to the the faded couple of Haro and uh, Akira, and they basically I don't I don't know if this is just a, a symptom of the way they've adapted it or a, of just how the manga was written, but they basically do the first season ending over again. She has to, like her parents are like we're sending you back to L.A. to to go to school and but haru doesn't know and he to his credit like he gets sit down by like every other character in the series and they're like you love akira oh no you should tell her how you feel and like get to have a girlfriend in high school um and he's like well uh but i've got this rivalry with her so i i've got to beat her in a tournament um and then i'll tell her and so, of course, they go. They travel to Osaka together in a very heart-touching thing, and they go around, and then they get to the tournament, and she's eliminated, but then she comes back in from, like, the second-chance loser's bracket. I'm not <laughs> – as someone who's never followed sports, I really don't understand how, like, those kind of complex brackets work, hmm. double elimination. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, and then she beats him, and he's like, well, dang, I can't tell her, and even though she's clearly mad, and, like, she spent the whole trip holding his hand and, like, standing really close to him where, like – if he were to, like, sneeze, he would accidentally kiss her. Uh, and so she, like, gets on a fucking plane, and then the anime becomes... Spoilers, obviously. The anime becomes very hyper-real, very very uh, magical realism, where, like, all the video game characters he's played, like, spew out from behind him and, like, block off the road so that he can make it to the airport. But she's already left. But then, like her plane gets mechanical troubles also possibly because of these fictive video game characters. She lands and he gives her this like cheap plastic ring that they've been handing back and forth over the series um, that he got, got her in a crane game. And he's like, take this. And uh, once you're done with college, like I'll come get you and we'll get married. And that's the end of the show. Uh, so at, at this point, has she spoken at all? No, she never speaks. <laughs> not once. And, like, that is, uh, that continues to be, like, uh, I am going to, like, roleplay being the editor of who who edits uh, High Score Girl. Who knows? But I'm going to be, pretend to be the editor of that publication. Uh, and I'm going to, uh, where's the, oh, it's, 
I think the editor's thoughts are more important than the editor's name, Ben. So come on. <laughs> no, this is important to me. Uh, I'm the editor of Monthly Big Gun Gun. And my uh, <laughs> seat was important. such a serious title there, Ben. <laughs> and I'm like, I like this love story. But if you considered making one member of the love triangle actually talk, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's so weird how they literally have to introduce an older sister character who fucking rocks. And she and, like, Haru's mom become best friends and, like, hang out and do, like, weird, like, Yakuza voice impersonations, which is, I know, one of mine and one of one of Jeff's favorite jokes of when, like, woman goes, like, <laughs> like, eh? like, the sort of, and, like, the the light cast down on their face and they just have, like, a weird, like, grimace and they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, they're funny. Um, it's a very funny show, uh, but... Yeah, like, they have to introduce an older sister character to explain what the younger sister is feeling because she can't talk. And so when Haro has this big speech about how, like, you know, like, all like their, their deep soul connection since the sixth grade and they're now second years in high school and how he's going to give her this ring and she needs to hold on to it until he can replace it with an engagement ring, which is actually something that his friends literally said, don't, like, don't say you're going to marry her when you confess that you love her. Um, but I guess they walk that back because who the fuck cares? Um, and and like they have to have, you know, Haro and these characters like tell it. And then she when he finally confesses to her, she's just like, hmm. End of anime. Yep. Uh, that's, yep. That sucks. Yep. That sucks. Yep. And it's the biggest problem with the show. And like it's a, it's clearly a joke that the author wrote themselves into and then like couldn't think of a good enough <laughs> reason for her to talk. I mean, if anything, uh, it's the, Ma- the Maggie the Simpson problem, as we call it. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, I enjoyed it overall. But it, it's, it's just not as compelling to have a love triangle where there are two articulate, real seeming people, and then like an idealized woman who can't talk. Um, so yeah, uh, recommended. Watch it on Netflix. It's funny. You get to see a lot of old games. Um, it's very funny, like all like the ironic things they say about like the early 3D era when like Virtua Fighter and like Tokyo Neo Police come out and they're like, oh, the graphics look so good. And they look terrible. Oh, my God, they look so bad. But uh, as a love story, it kind of reaches its peak halfway through the second season yeah. and then kind of has to has to follow first girl rule. Never forget the first girl you meet is the girl you're going to marry. <laughs> I mean, Thank God, that's not true. <laughs> listening to you talk about that, like, it, I was going to say, like, well, it's not exactly the 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 staple of a romantic anime that the 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 the, the trope you have to follow is that the, the 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 before you confess to a girl, you you have to beat her at a, a sport in a tournament. But on the other yeah. hand, Chiha Faru is also yeah. kind of doing that this season. Yeah, I'll have to fake along with this because I had to give up one anime if I was going to finish everything else by by the time we record. But I, I I'm confident it's good, um, and I know that you're up to date. Jeff, are you up to date with Chihafuru, or did I you? I am all the way up to date with Chihafuru. Oh man, I'm owned then. <laughs> I'm not owned. You slacker. I'm gonna, I'll be a corn cob over here. Y'all go ahead and talk about Chihafuru. <laughs> Do you want to lead off, Jeff? Yeah. So this season has been. Shit, now I've, I've watched like all of Chihaya Furu in the last month and a half or so, so I can't <laughs> really... Okay, so this season has been... Okay, this is, this is everything that happens after the <laughs> high school, ter- the second high school tournament, correct? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the, um, the entry point is their summer camp, uh, where they're they're right. meeting their rivals from the 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 high school tournament, and they're competing with them uh, with the teacher, uh, the older teacher with, and they're joined in the tournament following that by uh, the her 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 old rival, uh, the. Uh, can't remember her name. It's, yeah, I can't. Yeah, the the eyeballs girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, with the kids. The eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, like, the one played by Maya Sakamoto. I know the voice actress more than the other <laughs> character. Um, and yeah, like like Ben, I believe, was saying at the beginning of the season, like it really starts off at a machine gun pace because they have they're just like screaming through games. They're not doing the whole things and. Now that they've gotten towards the like the master and queens tournaments, they've been slowing their role a lot, and that has been kind of refreshing. They've also, I call me crazy, like because we had said that you know this show was a lot more grounded than in in its visual language at least than something like Three Lion, mm-hmm. uh, but they seem to have kind of let that go. Like they've they've they especially when Arta mm-hmm. is yeah. playing. Uh, the the like the far flung maybe third leg of the love triangle that nobody seems to realize that they're in slash <laughs> assumes that they're not a part of, because <laughs> um, every everybody like describes playing against him as being like an almost supernatural uh, experience. You know, it's like oh, I feel like I'm in oil. I feel like I'm in water, and they they spend a lot of time trying to get the characters into each other's heads through various like contrivances like the yeah they actually have them um playing mimicking each other's styles to uh, uh help uh, another member of their society um play yeah. against them better yeah their 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 mentor uh Dr. Harada press gangs uh Chihaya and uh the other boy whose name escapes me right now he keeps calling him eyelashes <laughs> Um, he's like, all right, well, he you're can... going to play like Arata and you're going to play like the current master. And so they, they, they spend all their time impersonating these other characters. And then, of course, this lends them to like gain insight into this other character's mind and like expanding their skills in this way and discovering new things about themselves. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I love those episodes partly just because uh, Chiha uh, uh, sort of adopts a method acting uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> version to hers in, in that she starts put, putting on his mannerisms and going around like ha- handing out sweets to people because that's what he apparently does and just, just and then the boss is like, okay, yeah, you're going a bit too far here. Just, yeah. just how does he lay out his cards? <laughs> but I think you're right that the this season has grown into its uh, visual language that as we've gone from uh, a wide field of uh, competitors to a just a, a core of four or five it's become a lot more important to uh, not just have a quick moment where someone outplays someone through a, a mechanic it's become about how those two personalities and their approaches to uh, the game mm-hmm. matter in the outcome. And in particular, ha- uh, that's been, as you were saying, Arata and uh, the, the the Doctor, who's... Uh, uh, you know, I'm temporarily forget. 
Yeah, yeah. Harada. Um, yeah. It's those two. Those two are whether through contrivance or lucky coincidence, the two, one who imposes himself his style completely, who just is like, this is what I believe Karata should be like. It should be aggressive. It should be about. Um, learning your opponent's weaknesses and uh, putting pressure on him so that they make mistakes. And you've got Arata, who is wholly about adapting and who is the, throughout Shoshin, as the most intuitive person in terms of uh, just how he plays and is this idea of this aggressive, older, savvy competitor versus this young, flexible, or um, adaptive one and like it's, it's, a, it's a good pairing to end on as as like the the central two mm-hmm. yeah and and the uh the, the parallel uh queen's tournament because chihaya has like opted to take herself out of the running for uh for the season because she's having like she's making life decisions she wants to be a teacher so she doesn't want to give up on going to her school yeah. trip because like how could she be a teacher if she hasn't even been on a school trip and then of course she just like spends the whole time regretting it and <laughs> like constantly like just checking back and everything else yeah. and one of her friends has to take the sim card away from her phone so she's not constantly checking for updates and i was gonna say it's it's, it's interesting that's like uh I'm not sure if it's a trope, but I, because uh, we did the, the music show not long ago, I rewatched some uh, Nodome Cantilibre, and part of her arc is is this idea that she wants to be a teacher, and that um, what how does what happens when you have a prodigy who doesn't necessarily want to to follow their talent to its full conclusion, and should they? try and achieve the most they can during their youth so they don't regret following it and and you definitely got that thread being explored um by um the the older competitor in the the women's final mm-hmm. who there's yeah a, she's she's taking a like a leave of absence to have a couple of kids she wants to come back but now she's feeling the pressure of having the kids in the wings like you know, missing her, wanting her to come home because, like, she has an infant and, like, she's she's breastfeeding. Like, that, like, I've got a couple of kids and, you know, if you're, you know, if the mom is breastfeeding, that's definitely, like, a biological need for both parties and trying to focus on anything else while you're also dealing with that is a challenge for mm-hmm. a number of physical and emotional reasons that, you know, are evident even to me who was just like in the room for them and not experiencing yeah. them. And it was an interesting, it's, I've never seen, uh, especially an anime, but like even anything else, like a nursing mother trying to hold on to her other dreams. Like I've never seen really that explored. Like, yeah, that's really rare for anime, honestly, to have even someone who is yeah. in a, of a, a baby making age, mm-hmm. like a plausibly baby making age. Even I mean, it's just rare for media altogether. I think. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that was really interesting and refreshing, and especially since her and Harada, like they're like a lot of the show, sort of is like you you have people sort of lampshading it, where all of like the top competitors are you know in their teens or early twenties, um, whereas like I have no idea what like the the Karata scene is like in real life, but like you get the sense that like mm-hmm. the reason that you know you know Shinobu and everybody else are teenagers is because a manga has to be appealing to young people and that's how you do that. And you don't want to have 
you know a bunch of middle-aged people playing a weird niche card game i'm i'm not about sure about poems. that because um famously hearing does drop up off in the higher pitches once you sort past your early 20s so i think given the focus they put on people being able to just make out what a word is going to be from a single syllable you could easily have like just a couple of of tiny amounts of decibels difference in hearing just changing you from the best to an also ran hmm yeah but i one thing i do like at least in the five episodes that i've watched <laughs> yeah for uh is that they do i mean so many sports like you have a window and once you're too old you're out and i think that they do a lot of good job in in at least in the most recent season it's been too long since the other two of showing how like yes speed and reaction time is good but also like being a seasoned player is a huge advantage in some ways um and that you have like a, a little bit more awareness of like the interpersonal aspect of the sport and stuff so it's not just being a young fiery competitor versus being an old burnt out one there's more of a yeah there's more of a a difference between the two and there's advantages to both sides it's not just like oh can chihaya beat this old granny who's you know (laughs) down in baby making mode yeah it's it's yeah and and like like it's it's an effective sports show because and also like i i I think I've said this before, but like I enjoy the fact that the game itself is somewhat low key and low stakes. Like they're not playing in front of like millions of people, and it's like they're not mm-hmm. they're not going to be famous. Like nobody here is like in it for the money, and it's and so it's just like a bunch of like normal ass people with a really weird passion, like exploring what it's you know the idea of like going after something that you really enjoy for its own sake, and you know what you know what are the costs in doing that what are you know when are the costs too high you know why are they doing this in the first place and all like you know even you know the older competitors like some of them are feeling burnt out other ones are like you know i'm fired up seeing these like these youngsters like harda like you know he's always trying to get new people to join his like karuda society but like all of it is in service of him becoming a master one day and like (laughs) he's just like laser focused on that and you know when he gets into the into the semifinals and he just like calls the whole society and is like all right new mission everyone is going to help me win (laughs) and that's like the focus for like two three episodes and like it's like like it, it does a really good job of bringing these personalities out in these like in these other characters like in a way that a lot of sports shows like everybody you know even even like the weird weedly like thin kid who was like the the sort of comedy relief rival in the first couple of seasons gets you know a lot of texture mm-hmm. um over the course of the over the course of the show like even though he he's more or less written out at this point because he has sort of resigned himself to the fact that oh I'm not actually that good compared to these other people and he wants to kind of give up but like you know, even the even the comedy relief characters get to get to have their moments, and it's nice. It's a good show. Well, shall I uh, go on and and since we're on sports, Henry, shall I talk about Stars Align then? Uh yeah. What is that? Yeah, show? go wild. <laughs> so that is a tennis show, or uh, should we say oh, a right, soft right, right. a soft tennis show? Because apparently Japan has its own. Uh, form of tennis where instead of using a, a 
sort of hollow ball, you use a soft, squishy ball, which I assume reduces the velocity and allows you to do more stuff like curling shots, etc. But um, Starsline, while having a strong base in its um, matches, is far more concerned with what's going on around them. Um, in particular, it's concerned with the absolute trash fire list of parents that its cast has, and when I say that, uh, I, I'm, I say that with no, 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 not even the slightest bit of um, overstatement. That I, it's like, what if you had like eight people with Gendo as their as both parents, because they are. <laughs> absolutely and utterly appalling like first parent we meet beats up his kid second parent we meet is a, a cloying mum who is restricting the activities of their son because she thinks that he should focus on his, his studies at the cost of all else third mum poured boiling water over their kid in postpartum depression um fourth parents um actually there's one set of good parents like Amongst this absolute horrific rogues gallery of of people who I wouldn't say should never have kids, but should should never look at should never be considered parents with the way they behave. One one good family, and but the the rest are absolute horror show. And it's it's really strange to see um, parents not not just a bad parent, but like. The idea of families as n not necessarily being a good place for someone to be. And I think the other thing I, I need to mention before, before I talk a bit more about Stars Line is that it's doubles tennis, which is actually really important because what the show's central premise seems to be is that in having a... Uh, a friend and a partner outside the the structures and strictures of uh, family life, you can find rooms room to express the traumas and anxieties that family life puts upon you, and it's it benefits from having, I think, a a sport people understand pretty well. Everyone, everyone understands tennis. You don't get yeah, you, you hit the ball the other side. That's all. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> scoring and, nobody understands, but everything else is fine. <laughs> and, and, and soft tennis even has a simplified scoring system, so we're okay there. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think that allows it to to basically say, okay, what's interesting here is the way each pair complements each other and helps each other, and how their different home circumstances affect the way that they their personalities form and how their strengths and weaknesses can interact in surprising ways like one thing they they start out with is that you had they had uh, initial pairings um where and the, 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 the sort of setup of the, 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 the story is that uh, we have a, a new transfer student and he's he's incredibly talented. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a natural tennis player, but he hasn't really played it before. So he's introduced to the tennis club and they've already all, all got their pairings. And 
his immediate insight is that everyone's paired up wrongly because they've paired up in the way that suits them in terms of convenience rather than what actually works well. Like the two most um, loud and aggressive um, people have partnered up with the most timid and quiet ones and they are dominating them and they're not actually working together. So those two are immediately paired up together and faced with someone who is just as loud and just as bellicose as them, they actually adapt and become more aware of what the other person wants and how to help someone rather than to just order them and to use their own physical gifts to win matches. And it's it's little things like that for each pair where you have people who you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, this is going to be how they will match up providing support and uh, help to each other in and being better people and better players for it. And it's, it's strange because we see almost nothing of their student life. We only see glimpses of their home life and when they're uncaught. And yet it's wholly about um, their personalities with the um, matches just being a place where those conflicts play out i mean that seems pretty common in for sports anime especially where everything happens on the court one way or the other like chihaya furu is very similar where like the fact that they they have to be in school is kind of treated like an inconvenience at some points hmm. um and like it seemed like seemingly their entire life revolves around this one thing that has no ever no other like you know applications it's, in their yeah. life it's, it's immediately notable that the, the, the exception to this rule which springs to my mind is Three Line, which has very strong um, lines about um, how people are suffering in school or and how important it is for them to actually go, go make friends, have clubs apart from their, their sports and mm-hmm. in ways which these even a good sports anime like Stars Aligned doesn't which is why freeline is just an, an exceptional show and like every other sports anime is probably going to fall behind it in my estimate estimation apart from perhaps ping pong but there we go um, <laughs> oh, it's not long to new 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 uasa stuff so yeah yeah, yeah it's that. gonna be a thing get ready <laughs> to have every get sick of everyone talking about it you're asked to saving anime, literally. <laughs> Someone's got to save anime. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Well, it's New York <laughs> I mean... Camp, too, so I'm sure that'll save anime, too. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to walk into the ocean. Uh, well, I will go ahead and uh, round out our, like, sports-ish anime discussion. Because <laughs> uh, I actually did finish Hoga- uh, Hokago Psychoro Club or After School Dice Club. It was fine. <laughs> I, I I think I like had the exact same feelings about it as I did about like Takunomi, where it's just equal parts, uh, you know, show about like girls being friends, but also there's like a lot of really technical details in Takunomi about beer and uh, spirits and in After School Dice Club about board games, and it was cool to see board games I knew. Uh, the plot really dropped off even more than it did after the last time i talked about it 
there's this plot about like the smart student council president girl um, or class rep style girl uh, submitting a board game uh, based on interior decorating, which a flashback reveals that she uh, decided to make because she she has a friend who's a furniture salesman. Is there <laughs> like, a, like a, a romantic subplot to that? Or no, it's not romantic. romantic. He's he's much older, but he's just like, yes, I love I love selling furniture because I get to like have all these like fancy pieces of furniture and like give them to people and help them decide how they'll fit in their houses. And she's like, wow, that's really cool. I'll go buy some furniture. And then she sees that like a nice chair is like four hundred dollars, <laughs> and she's like, oh, or more than that, like four thousand dollars. And she's like, oh, well, huh. And so she made a game about it. And then she got so obsessed with like making the game super balanced that she'd lost the joy of decorating a room. Aww. And so she went back and made it more about like setting up the pieces to like make it look like a real room full of furniture. And so then it got what, rejected, so what, what, but she's going to move to New York to like talk to the dude who who rejected her. But so, yeah, it's so what you're saying, Ben, is is the plot of this is uh, uh, reject Euro games, make make a merry trash. Uh, they actually have a bit where she's like, she's like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to go to America because I, I really like Euro games. But Americans make some Euro games. I think it'll be okay. It's very, it's very strange. It is a, it is. I would say at most a four or five episode anime that's padded out by like hmm. the rules explanation of the games and then like the characters explaining why the games are fun, which is the part I like the best. So fine, good keep doing that but don't keep doing that because god the show is boring by the end even when like it came up with a they played ladies and gentlemen which is a a game that's played in pairs where one person is the woman buying an outfit to be the nicest outfit at the ball and the man which can be a man or a woman it's not like you just you play the husband and the wife and the, but the husband is at the stock market doing this like flip tile game to make money and they can't communicate about like the points or anything so it's just the wife being like honey i would love this dress and He's like, oh, I didn't have a great, great, uh, great time at the office today. We can't afford it. We can put it on layaway, but I can't promise you that we're going to buy it. Um, so, but they didn't even explain like the weird subversiveness of like boiling the two gender roles down to their like ridiculous elemental forms is the point of the game. They just played it completely straight. Like all the girls have to play the girl's role, the wife's role, and all the guys have to play the husband's role. And so, like at certain points, they didn't even capture what was fun about the games, in my opinion. But it was cool to like just have a lot of games that are real be talked about in an anime. It's the same thing as having like a a beer or a spirit that I know about be so, referenced in Takunomi. So, what sort of like the 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 the, the platonic ideal of this this show? What what's because you you seem to watch a fair few of them, Ben. Like the, these shows where it is. I don't know what I'm chasing, Duncan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what was the first one that made me think that like cute girls hanging out but about about this very specific thing i guess it was probably chihafru uh, i was gonna, um, i was gonna pose something different which i've actually watched. girls and panzer yeah <laughs> girls and panzer's freaking great just besides being about <laughs> tanks though it definitely definitely does spend a fair <laughs> amount of time talking about uh, tanks and but tanks are really cool duncan also <laughs> but you're, I, I think you're right probably it, it is a mix of sports anime and watching like girls and panzer and even to a lesser extent upote of just like hmm. but i think that i think in a lot of cases like girls and panzer is is manifestly like someone's like passion like <laughs> the people who made that have yeah. to love tanks because it would be the worst anime in the world to work on if you didn't give a shit about it's tanks. such a <laughs> such a like such a strange show like like it's basically someone saying what if everyone in the world liked tanks as much as i do 
Let's go. Which is, which is, which is fun. But the thing is, like, I think this is actually the issue, is that oftentimes, uh, in the case of Takunome or uh, uh, After School Dice Club, not Osaka Wafufu, but Osaka Wafufu is just bad because it's boring. Um, it often is about, like, trying to bring people in who, like, have never heard of board games mm. or cocktails or, or beer. Um, and I think that in the case of Girls in Panzer, they do a fairly good job of, like, everybody ex- – I mean, all the main characters, all the characters with, like, prominent speaking roles either are super into tanks or get into tanks really fast. <laughs> uh, and so there's not as much of this kind of, like, weird edge where they have to continue to sell you on, like, why tanks are cool uh as yeah it's, it's as that, aesthetic objects at least if not as like weapons of war yeah it's, and it's, like yeah. yeah go ahead i want to hear what you think about it because like you've you've been very like, guarded about your like, opinions the, the first couple of episodes i was like distinctly okay this is very weird like this is like okay so i watch a lot I, I I like my war games. I, I I like my war films. <laughs> okay. I, I I I like like stuff which is about battles and stuff because conflict is interesting. But you're telling me we've got these girls who seemingly love tanks and love them completely void of any association with their um, use as weapons of war and their fundamental function of killing. And like for the first. Two, three episodes. I think the the dissonance there is very, very much in evidence. Like, she, the the lead character has this incredibly disturbing habit of of like leaning out the top hatch of a tank while while shells are bouncing off different parts of it. I'm like, <laughs> dear God, at some point one's just gonna hit her, and it's just gonna be like. <laughs> The entire tank's filled with this weird red rain, which was once their best friend. But no, <laughs> apparently you develop this weird force field around you, which repels any possible shells. When you... they do explain that in in one of the OVAs, uh, they have uh, the tanks have reactive armor that negates all like kinetic damage, <laughs> and the black and the shells are filled with black powder, not actual like high explosives. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we know now. But <laughs> it, it's it's for people who are even worse than you about how this isn't, this isn't realistic. <laughs> but the, the These moment women should which be dead. Actually, actually sold it is is in the fourth episode that they're, they're they're having their first real tank battle, I think, and they and they they they're on the field, they're having their battle, and and suddenly we're losing. What what can we do? We need to retreat to to where we know best. What's that? town so off the tanks go into into their small little town where they proceed to have a tank battle in the middle of the town and the, the moment which sold me is is that there's like a high-speed chase and one of the tanks which is following them just goes out of control and into a shop and it, it cuts to the 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 audience cheering on and someone goes oh, they've gone into my shop they've destroyed it yes oh, wow i'll get a new one now the government will pay for pay for it to be rebuilt yeah yeah imagine um, if the military budget went to like high school war games instead is basically the, the thing they're asking you yeah, government pays for all the fights and pays for all the insurance costs and yeah and it's it's like okay fine if you if every resident of your universe seems to be complicit in just how absurd this is i'm in Let, let's just go <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that you put it best at the beginning, which is just, it just imagines a world where every everybody cares about, like, some niche interest as much as you, a huge nerd who loves this one niche interest, cares about it. 
Yeah. It's like watching a Warhammer anime. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, but not but not the weird fascist thing that would actually come out if we made a Warhammer anime. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually I would love a combination of After School Dice Club and Girls Und Anime and Warhammer and just have Girls Und Anime. <laughs> <laughs> After... What if what if what if girls liked anime? That'd be a good show, right? Um, what what if speak, want... Speaking of uh, Yuasa's thing coming out soon, so yeah. Mm. That looks pretty good. Yeah, after school yeah. girls anime club essentially. So yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I I agree that like it's if everything committed as hard as girls and Panzer commits to their like their their weird universe where like girls go off to school on aircraft carriers that like sail around the ocean and yeah. like meet up in ports to do tank duels, which, which and... are like city sized aircraft characters. Yeah. Car- Aircraft carriers built to the templates of World War One and World War Two ones. So they're, they, they're, they're the actual size of cities, but they are completely designed exactly the same as as old ones. And it's like utterly nonsensical. And like, well, fair enough. We're here now, I guess. I think, wait I until think the I'm wait until the now. episodes where <laughs> I I think you would probably out of all the people uh, who would on this podcast, I think you'd probably be the one who'd like it most. It's good. It's got like good action. And it's basically just like KO in terms of like storytelling, um, <laughs> except there's tanks instead of guitars. Oh, hell yeah. But like, wait, Duncan, until later episodes where they need more tanks and they like go down into like the massive bowels of this like, like what, you said, uh, city uh, side uh, size uh, aircraft carrier full of tanks. There's just like they like go and there's like, oh there's this, <laughs> there's this room full of trash. Weird. This must have been a storage room, and they like dig a tank out of it. It's just like. <laughs> Like someone put a tank down in storage in like uh, like level fourteen C basement and they dig it out and bring it up to them. like oh hey it's a French it's a French uh, beast two B awesome. <laughs> well, they did sort of do that when they found their their their, their tanks first time round. Like they were just like oh here's one at the bottom of a pond. Here's one in a cave. <laughs> like no, it's like literally a cave halfway off a cliff and there's a tank in it. How it got there. Who the fuck knows? But it's there now. I do love that they're also, because they have to, like, scrap together this tank program, because it's the classic, I would say anime, but I think also just, like, teen drama thing of where they have to, like, save the school by winning a tank, winning the, like, the, the big tank yeah. tournament. Which um <laughs> which was which is stars, stars Line did as well. You have to. Have, it was if the if the club does not win one match in the upcoming tournament, it will be disbanded. Wait until the movie where even though they won, uh, they have to win a tournament against uh, college level players uh, because the guy who promised them that if they win the tournament, they'll get to stay was just like, that was a verbal agreement. It's not it's not binding, <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like it's the most like nakedly <laughs> mercenary way to like keep your series going after you finished it well. But um, but yeah, like they're the only team that has like a bunch of different tanks and everyone else is like perfectly themed. The Russian school, the British school. The American school, the Nazi school. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, looking forward which, to that. Which the main character used to be part of the Nazi school, and then she like now she's almost drowned when school. their tank wow. fell in a went a river, so she like left and went to a different school. Uh, I like um, Girls in Pan. It's like it's not it's not going to change anyone's life, but if we imagine a form of fan service that's not just like bending over for some like nice cleavage. I feel like Girls and Panzer does it well of just build an absurd world where your dumb fixation makes sense yeah. and then just tell a story in it. I don't know. The the only other one which which is a cute girls doing highly technical thing, which is our new 
new yes, show. subgenre, precisely. Which I can think of is actually one of the first things we ever discussed, which is Shirobako. Yes, that's true. I mean, and also made by uh, Mizushima Tsomu in yeah, terms of, which is yeah. notable. Um, yes. So, <laughs> like, maybe, maybe he's he's the person who has the, the magic ingredients of just taking the two things he loves most: animation and tanks, and just make shows about them. I wonder. See, what I think about this is like, if you watched Girls and Panzer first, would you have been less hostile to how the Magnificent Kotobuki ended? Because the Magnificent Kotobuki is literally him just being like, "Okay, we'll do this for do this for planes now." But no, there were good parts of there were good parts of Kotobuki. You have to acknowledge that. Overall, it was like, not a terribly great show, but I like it has some of the best foley in anime. Full stop. <laughs> yes, but I think. Overall, the characters were just too annoying and mm. had, like, I uh, like they didn't have be- uh, believable friendships within the crew. Like they yeah. were just archetypes who were, which were associated with a particular f- flying style, and occasionally had little dramas which didn't really seem to affect how they interacted with each other over the the actual ongoing thing, which girls and pans seems to be doing yeah that's a really good point is that like the nature of a tank crew is that you have to lock five people in a in a 10 by 10 by 5 metal room uh and like they have to like interact plausibly otherwise it just won't be interesting to watch so whereas whereas with planes it's okay this is the character of the plane and this is the person who's picked it because it reflects their character and yeah off you go although do like the volleyball club with their like crappy tank that can't even penetrate other tanks and they have to like yeah i don't know i like all the different teams yeah they're, they're, i don't know if you've gotten to the point did you get the you finished the series or did you no get, no i'm oh. halfway through but i i i, I like the volleyball club just because like they, they they always have these <laughs> moments where it's like like the, the city fight was was their best moment so far so the, the in their first ever fight they ran away literally got out their tank and, and legged it in the second one yeah. they're, they're they're all fired up and they're gonna make make things better and, and they, they they cunningly trick this other tank by parking in a, a sort of elevated garage and the tank sort of rises up behind them and it is it, ha we've got the jump on you and it fires their gun and you hear a huge explosion and it's like they're all cheering yeah and it cuts to to the other tanks turret just swiveling around and oh, oh we just hit the, the the excess fuel on the back and oh we're done for now boom yeah yeah they they there are a lot there's a lot of like nice self-dunking actually that that kind of contrast with kotobuki where kotobuki like japanese planes are the best made planes in the world yeah period. But uh, in this, like, the Japanese Japanese took a long time in World War II to, like, change their tank program to be tank versus tank versus tank as, like, a infantry support. And so the tank they have was never meant to fight other tanks. It's got, like, a 35mm cannon that, like, could barely penetrate, like, an armored car. And so, like, for the entire show, they never give them a new tank. They just, like, keep going around this, like, this tank that's that's fast and it's light and it's meant to resist small arms fire, and that's it. So, <laughs> so the volleyball team continues to just be like very ganky with their like, yeah, because they're 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 in the tank club. Because if they win a, t- a tournament, they think it'll give them the clout to restart the volleyball <laughs> club that got cut because of austerity. And I, so, I like it's like nested it, it's yes. Russian dolls. It's like <laughs> it's the it's the volleyball club. I wonder if like I'm almost surprised that that doesn't exist as a spin-off, like the the girls and panda panzer volleyball club, the anime. 
because like i think the only spinoff is them is them in uh in middle school like uh the nishizumi school in middle school and when they're like young and first learning to do tanks oh, dear. um Although they, they they imply, like, as you said, like, it's a whole swath of society. So, like, you get into tanks in junior high, and if you're good, you can go through high school and like, the college level, which is the beginning of the professional circuit. And then, like, their instructor is, like, a, a decorated uh, tank commander. And it's funny because each different uh, year – so, like, the 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 junior high drives World War One tanks, and the high school drives World War Two tanks, and college drives, like, post-war tanks – and the like professional adult circuit drives like late cold war and modern tanks and so it's just like you change up in the league and you get to drive like more and more lethal tanks as you get older but obviously world war ii tanks is the is the passion of the people making the anime Mm -hmm. but like i do like this idea of just like you can just be like a tank driver for your entire life and not in the way that you can in this world which is (laughs) a bit more depressing (laughs) so yeah that's after school dice club uh five out of ten uh it gives some good game recommendations it's a pretty boring anime though uh and that's all that i have watched vinland saga high school girl after school dice club and jihai Furu 3 so uh, so what duncan it's all duncan yeah, it's and anything have. jeff has to um, add yeah. so let's do the the one which which only i have watched first which is um uh the hero is overpowered but overly cautious which was uh, my hope for a Konosuba esque isekai this season. Sadly, it's proved as, and this sticks in my core as I, I say it. It's proved as <laughs> John has, as, as John once prophesized that it has been a bit one note. That it may have excellent absurd face game, but there's only so many faces you can pull when absurd things are going on screen and eventually it kind of all becomes the same and like someone it's 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 like good rock music knows when to make most use of someone screaming a, a good chorus and how to have like moments of just cathartic energy and absurdity and and to build around them whereas if you just blare that constantly it can become um, samey and lack any emotional impact and that's what happened with uh, Heroes are Overly Cautious um, it still had lovely stretchy and uh, fluid and uh, sketchy is not quite the right word but expressive animation throughout but it as the more of its plots as such came in the less interested i became and it tried like like, like is there a plot like yeah. i can't like <laughs> so okay. long story short that 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 you have a uh, a realm of gods and goddesses and they pick heroes from from worlds to send to other worlds which have been took over by and in the process have been took over by demon lords to prevent that and Basically, they're, they're, they're like the isekai department. They, they pick people from other worlds and take them to other worlds. And so they're, the, the, the plot of this series is that Ristat, the, um, the, the goddess who is a, a sort of perspective character, is on her first job. And she's, she's trying to select 
she's given an S-class planet to deal with, with a particularly dangerous demon lord, and she's terrified because she doesn't think she can handle it. And she's looking through all these possible, like, applicate not applications, but, like, all these different people she could pick. And she sees one whose stats are off, off the charts. And, and, the, and the, the joke is that, just yes, his stats are off, off the chart, but he is uh, incredibly cautious and overthinks everything and it's and the the plot of the the series is basically him doing the normal all challenges you would see in a typical thing like fighting the the four kings who are the servants of the demon lord and just beating them um, through different uh acts of being so so cautious he he expects everything and it's like the aha moment. I I shall unleash, unleash my my ultimate barrage, and it's like ah, I expected that. Okay, I can have that easy, and like him just completely outpowering each one or outthinking each one, well well ahead. So there's no conflict there, which is amusing. In the first time it happens, like okay, so this guy can beat this person incredibly easily, despite how terrifying they are to every other resident of this world. But when that's happened four times, it's lost any surprise or amusement value. And, and is there any kind of like like character arcs in any way, or is it just this one I mean, joke over and yeah, over again? Like most of it, it's just for that one joke over and over again. You don't see any changing in him. He is still um, cautious until we get to the final arc, where he's we. We get told that there is a uh, that that classic trope that there is a uh, blessed sword which which is the only thing which can slay the demon lord, and the this is where cautious hero takes its first attempt at uh, introducing some drama and um, sacrifices to be made. Where the only way he can obtain that is by sacrificing literally, not not metaphorically, literally sacrificing one of his uh, companions to a uh, to put for their soul to be put in a sword, and that's the only way you can create the, the legendary weapon which will allow him to defeat the, the demon lord. And so, and that's how subtle its character choices get. Like, <laughs> like you didn't choose to sacrifice your companion and and put their soul in a sword. Well, that's obviously shown own growth because uh, other like. How how is how is that like like the sort of thing where there's any real um, ch- question of which they would choose when you've just been a gag enemy to this point? If you if you'd introduced some peril and and had some points where maybe we might doubt which way you'd make that decision, then yeah, sure you can have that emotional uh, moment of tension of is this person going to be just completely utilitarian and just say right this one person dies so everyone else can can live and so i can be sure i can beat this this demon lord but you haven't established any reason that we should believe that you're going to go through with this you've been just a light enemy a gag show and so it doesn't land and they and the end of it is just that but more so like it turns out like he's actually a reincarnated soul who had previously been an overly rash rash hero and like he's now basically just reacting to his previous self where he ended up condemning a world by by being 
rushing in and underestimating a, a foe and getting all his companions killed. And so, so his character development happened off screen. Yeah. Essentially, the yeah. Before the show started. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it's, it's, and it's got more fan service as it went on as well, which is frustrating. Um, like, it still is a show which will produce some incredibly dumb gifts in a good way. But it's, in the end, is... N- lacks a sense of the correct scale for drama within it. Like, when you're that absurd, you can't also want to carry the big drama. Your drama has to be as small and petty as your character's personalities, which is something which Konosuba has always has done really well. And things like uh, even ReZero, which is getting a, 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 a rebroadcast this season... Um, when it it did, it has moments of petty drama and moments of big drama, and it manages to contrast them well because it establishes the way that a person would react to these things as both um, farcical and also a, a true reflection of their character whereas in Cautious Hero it's just like oh this is what we need to make this pun therefore they will act this way and yeah it was just a very disappointing series in the end sadly yeah. um, not not a patch on Konosuba um, uh, yeah. although I couldn't say whether it's a patch on the Konosuba movie <laughs> nice, uh, nice attempt to do a segue I appreciate it mm-hmm. yeah I forgot to say that like I watched the Konosuba movie at the beginning of November and then we had so much else to talk about that I never even brought it up on the podcast. I talked about it a little bit uh, with y'all privately, but um, the Konosuba movie was something that I had a lot of trepidation about because as you, Duncan, can uh, testify, especially in comparison to the hero is overly cautious and as Jeff can testify as someone who just watched Konosuba Mm -hmm. again relatively recently, it always feels like it's threading a needle and on either side of that needle are like shitty misogyny and sadism <laughs> so uh so like oh great they're gonna, they're gonna have a yeah they're gonna have a, a a two-hour movie well not quite that it's like an hour and a half um and they're they're gonna yeah just basically have either a bunch of episodes stick together or an hour or a whole movie length episode. And the latter was how it was. And I had actually ended up enjoying it. I brought a friend who uh, has grudgingly become a fan of Konosuba, uh, but, but otherwise doesn't really have a sort of broad anime diet. And she and I were very horrified that like the anime movies, two worst jokes uh, were uh, the it's a trap style joke, um, which they all laughed uproariously at. And, um, Cosma being threatened to be raped to death by an orc woman, which they all laughed at. But beyond that, it was actually pretty good. It was, it was. So, well, actually, I'll ask Jeff. Jeff, how how do you think that Konosuba handles character development? Um, I uh, mean, Konosuba handles character development primarily by. I mean, all of the characters are like ridiculous versions of what you would expect them to be. So you've got Kazuma, who is, you know, he's the hero, but he is this, like, cowardly dirtbag. He <laughs> is, like, you know, the opposite of the overly cautious hero in that he's got, like, 
crap stats except for his luck like it's one of those shows where like they just kind of like lampshade it's like oh this is a video game people have stat cards yes and, like <laughs> stats and you just like you get a weird skill currency that you can then spend on new powers and like they they do a lot of like but they have a lot of fun with it like they everything is like in service of like jokes for the most part but they also have a do a pretty good job of having like a pretty like a pretty like what's the word i'm looking for uh a consistent world like how everything works and so like you have you know you have the goddess who you know she's a total ditz but is you know because by by virtue of being a goddess she has you know incredible healing powers and so she ingratiates herself with the world when she doesn't talk by doing that you have the arch wizard who is only interested in explosions to an almost sexual degree and <laughs> Like her, like her character development over the show is like, maybe I should diversify. Maybe I should grow up. Maybe I should give up on my dreams. And like, that's, that ends up being her big arc in the movie. I believe I haven't seen the movie, but I've read the book because that's, that's the kind of sickness that Konosuba has given me that I, <laughs> I, I watched everything. Cause like I was watching overly cautious hero, you know, doing my dead dove challenge after having, uh, uh, after having Duncan sort of like, you know, unsell it to me, you know, and then just thinking, actually, I've never watched Konosuba. I should watch Konosuba and just like consumed it and then wanted more. And so I started reading the books and realized that, oh, the, the movie is just going to be what the book is. And so I was less angry about it not being distributed in Canada in any way. For so now. Yeah. Is the movie... Um... So, the, so how the movie works is that... Um, this is going to be spoilers for the basic plot of the movie, but like, are you really yeah. watching Konosuba for like the plot? Like, it's not a coherent is. fantasy world. Yeah, probably. Someone's going to give me an angry comment. I'm sorry, dude. I <laughs> consider uh, this I a spoiler I warning. Think, like, but it's like I think the interesting thing of, of Konosuba and its its plot is like it manages to keep it in the main line. Is like. They are somehow battling uh, demon lords, lieutenants, and yet somehow it feels small stakes still. Because yeah. well, they just—they usually just are doing something dumb, and they stumble upon one of the demon lords, lieutenants, and, yeah, like, I think uh, may- and then sort of accidentally beat them. Yeah, like they—they're they're not on a quest to to defeat them, although technically they are. They—they—they they, they just happen happenstance into them, and that sort of makes it a lot more. Um, believable when things become ridiculous. And and one thing that's actually pretty satisfying about the show is that as it continues, it refuses to just like reset everything to zero at the end of every story. Like one of the the ongoing jokes is that Cosma and his team of ne'er do wells and misfits keep beating demon lord lieutenants, and so keep getting you know more and more famous as these like mighty heroes, and then trying to like keep up appearances. Or just utterly failing to keep up appearances and like everybody like, you know, they meet royalty and then the royalty is shocked by their like vulgar uh-huh. uh, behavior and everything else. And also the fact that Aqua, you know, she was never very smart as a goddess to begin with and her job before she had gotten pulled down to this world by <laughs> Kazuma in the opening scenes of the show was cherry picking people specifically from japan because like she she mentions that like like oh the culture of japan makes people like extremely 
like easy to convince to like come and be a hero in these worlds because of like video games and stuff. So you guys already know all the stuff. I don't have to explain anything. It's really nice. And so <laughs> the world is full of the like the evidence of previous like, you know, isekai heroes who, you know, usually, you know, they they were all sort of like Hikikimori otaku who you know, had a good run for a couple of weeks and then realized that they can use their power to just, like, go back to their old ways. And so they keep finding these, like... Like, one of the great jokes in the first season is that there is this destroyer, like, giant walking, like, battle fortress. And, you know, it's this, like... You know, they they keep hearing it up. It's like, oh, it's the ultimate bounty. It's the thing that will destroy everything. And it was just, like, this, like, battle mech that a previous isekai hero had made and accidentally unleashed on the world and then and then like was killed by it and they, you know they they find this guy's old laboratory and it's got like a weird sex android and a gundam and people are, they're just like wow look at all these strange artifacts and mysterious <laughs> writing and it's like this is just like this like that is a gundam reference that is a berserk reference and cosmo like knows all of these and everybody's just like blown away by his like incredible insight and knowledge is like this is just like a bunch of nerds fucking everything up <laughs> yeah and that's actually the 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 MacGuffin of the movie is again that inventors like one of his bullshit machines um yeah. but so yeah so how the plot goes is they're just hanging out um cosmo is is enjoying their fame and wealth but uh, cannot hold himself back from being a gross loser, as is his want. Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, and then they uh, get a letter from, uh, God, what's her face? Minari? Megumin, yeah. yes. Oh, jeez, it's been too long now. Uh, <laughs> Meg- uh, Megumin gets a letter from her parents uh, saying that they're dead and that the uh, that the town's been burned down, and so. They freak out and go there, and it turns out that the dad is just as chuny as uh, Megumin is. They're all delusional, like nerd weirdos. Yeah. And he was just like gave her, sent her a, a page of his novel um, based on on something or whatever. And Cosmo becomes an instant favorite of the family because they are crushingly poor, and he is about to make a lot of money with his <laughs> with his uh, licenses that of inventions that he's brought over from Japan, uh, and. Then they discover a demon lady, one of the demon lieutenants, who wants to steal this, like, mage-killing machinery that was meant to, like, counter the, uh, the, uh, what are they called? The Crimson somethings? Uh, Yeah, like Crimson Crimson Mage. Yeah, the Crimson Demon Village. Crimson Demon Village is, we're also made by the, like, the, the nerd inventor guy from Ancient Ago as, like, the perfect army race. Um, and deliberately like made them all like weird and delusional because it like yeah. tickled them or whatever. And so Cosma has to like stop that. And it turns out that uh, in the worst like transphobic mold of of trans women, like she has a penis because she enjoys the pleasure of both sides. Uh, the demon, the demon lieutenant lady, uh, and Cosma gets grossed out and decides not to join her because he's going to join her because he's also like a sniveling backstabber uh but uh yeah but yeah it's it's actually it's very funny all the jokes are very funny the fact that the family's trying to get Cosma and megamine to hook up and megamine thinks it's ridiculous and Cosma pretends it's ridiculous but is also like interested and not unhappy yeah. that they get trapped in the same room together and at the very end megamine's like 
so this has taught me that like I'm over specialized and I need to like grow into a real person. So here I can't do it myself. Here's my level up card. Um, put my points in anything but explosions. And then of course, like he does it and she's like, okay, I feel great. I feel good. Like this is a new page in my life. And then she looks at her card. And he's put all her points in explosions <laughs> again. Uh, and so like, that's, I mean, that might be where the show ends in terms of, I don't know. I don't know if they're, there's probably a will to keep adapting it because apparently this was like wildly popular in both Japan and in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a nice place of like, okay, so they're going to grow, but they're going to keep growing on their own terms. And also like lots of, you know, titty jokes and weird darkness abuse humor. She barely f- features in the anime. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, when, when she discovers that like the orcs are chasing Cosma because they all male orcs are, are, have been annihilated. And so only female orcs exist. She like, just like falls down and starts rolling away like rolling away like prone because she's just like has been completely like knocked out by the shock of not having the threat of male orcs raping her anymore (laughs) so i mean i enjoy i enjoyed it it was mostly apparently i've constructed an elaborate fantasy that everyone who watches konosuba finds like the cringy parts as cringy as me and it was kind of unpleasant to see it in a theater of largely early 20s largely white largely male people and have them laugh at all the cringy parts but uh i don't know if you let other people's like standards define why you enjoy any sort of media you're always going to feel that way so yeah we like the bad thing for the good reasons not the bad yes reasons. <laughs> <Precisely>. <laughs> Uh, speaking of liking the bad thing for the good reasons, I know that Jeff, you've been watching a lot of non-airing anime, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not sure how I like went down. This <laughs> and Duncan path. takes off his headphones. My God. Because <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, like, I, like I, I randomly started watching Haruhi again for the first time in like ten years, mm-hmm. and chugalugged that whole series and like the even the spinoff. Like I like it a hell of a lot more than you do. And then I was just kind of like looking for more things like that. And then you had mentioned Haganai like offhandedly as like, oh, this is a thing that you might like. And then, you know, I've, I found a reason to watch it. And that show is not good. It's not. I, I, I'm very entertained by it. And I there are parts it of it that are quickly. there are parts of it that are extremely good. But yeah. overall, it is not good. It it's is not, not just putting a bunch of high quality ingredients in a pot and making a great soup. It is they burned the soup. Yeah, they they burn the soup. It is uncomfortably horny uh it is like like jeff is saying that (laughs) yeah that's that's me saying that like me saying the show has is uncomfortable amounts of siscon and lollicon and it is uh it's it it, and it's funny because like they like like my my you know my grand unifying theory because i'm always determined (laughs) to like find the secret good reason for why the show exists that it's because like the whole i mean the whole point of the show this is big spoilers like the first season is basically so all right so the the basic concept of the show in case you haven't watched this bad show about kids in high school um so a you know this there's this kid who everybody thinks is a delinquent because he's got blonde hair because he's like half white uh is ostracized by his whole school because of a series of comedic uh, misunderstandings um, and is unknowingly reunited with his childhood friend who is similarly uh, like a social outcast who for, you know, for only... much more legitimate reasons I will point yeah. out <laughs> she has like yeah like she is like just she has like, really serious... really mean yeah 
Yeah, she has like like serious social anxiety, and that comes out as just being like, like, yeah, like so you know she has like you know extended conversations with her imaginary friends. Like she just like she has like this awful personality. She's just constantly mean to everybody, and she but she remembers being friends with this guy, and so she concocts this idea that oh we're gonna have a club. So, so there's like this whole genre of shows that I've been binging recently <laughs> of like weird kids starting a fake club and then doing seishun bullshit to like of like seishun means youth translators yeah yeah (laughs) yeah like experiencing the like the springtime of youth so which usually comprise you know composed of going to the beach and saying umida which like there's a pretty good joke in the show where they go to the beach and all practice saying umida because like oh we're like you know the whole point of this club is that they're going to you know this you know what ends up being this cast of like seven characters who all have no friends are coming together in this club so they can practice doing friend stuff so that they can have friends and you know, they all go to the beach and practice yelling Umida, and they go, all go to the, you know, the cultural festival to, like, you know, to do stuff. And, you know, and as the show progresses, it, you know, it very, it very, very slowly lets you in on the fact that it is in on the joke where, you know, this group of seven people are already friends. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, the reason that they're not, you know, there's, deeper reasons why they're not allowing themselves to just realize that these people are already friends and i like my my theory was that oh this is like a trojan horse that you know they're going to fill the show with like uncomfortable fan service and dumb bullshit to get weird loner nerds who are just like abusing themselves in like image board communities to like come to terms with the fact that like you know having this like horrible attitude about how you know you're above the world and you just need to learn how to like live amongst the normies and well never like stopping hating them like because like 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 this like you know the this club like the neighbors club he's like oh we're gonna get together and figure out how to integrate in society and then they spend all of their time playing otome games and like the amount the amount of of gal games they play is is really hilarious yeah and and like, like horribly addicted yeah, yeah, like, like, and there's like, and it's the one show where it seems to be like consciously subverting the idea of the first girl trope, where you have this like really shitty, like, like you know, sundry presenting asshole girl who's just abusing everybody all the time, and then you have the like you know the second girl who's like she's nice and smart and everything else but like you know but she doesn't have that special mystical connection of being the childhood friend but then it's revealed later that actually she was an even earlier childhood friend (laughs) and she has like a bullshit marriage promise and so like she has more of the magical manga ingredients that mean that this person is the person they're going to end up with and you know all of this is basically just to back the main character of the show the like you know the the fake delinquent you know backing him into a corner and admitting that like the reason that you're not allowing yourself to like admit that you have friends is because you're like you're afraid of losing people you're afraid of letting people into your life and you know you have to be willing to take a chance on people like that you know it's not just about you know this is how you like perform these things to make you know make people like you it's like you actually have to like take a chance on people and like it, it spends like two seasons, like sort of getting to this point, but then 
the the road to get to getting there isn't worth it. Don't watch it, folks. I'm going to watch the third season coming out, but <laughs> when yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, when I watched it way back in apparently 2013, uh, I made a list of the things that I liked unreservedly, um, and those things are. Uh, their faculty advisor is a 10-year-old nun named Maria. Yeah. And she, in her only insult, is calling things poop. And that was funny every time. Yep. That's one. Um, is it, was it Sena? Who, who's the who's the rich girl? Uh, Sena, yeah. Sena. Um, she is, like, very haughty. But when she calls people on the phone because she doesn't have much practice, she's, like, very nervous and doesn't really know how to, like, she's always, like, when they pick up, he's like, hello. She's like, oh, oh, uh. Hi, um, is this, uh, can I, can I speak to, what's his name? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's me, what's up? And she's like, well, I was, she's like very overly polite and, and stumbling. Um, I liked Rika's dynamic with the protagonist, even though I know it's meant just to like fluff the protagonist's ego, where she like is super horny and he just has to shoot her down all the time because he's not interested in having sex with her. Yeah, uh, for whatever yeah, she's reasons. like, like, like the third wheel or, or the fourth wheel because you know the show has <laughs> to have a, a love triangle. But she's the yeah, like the the sort of the Hanakawa stand-in of like the weird horny so, friend who wears a like a lab coat, and then you know, it's, yeah. and you know, even that is like sort of taken apart as the show progresses. Like it's like we thought you were really smart, like you wear glasses. Like oh no no, that's just to like enhance the fact that I'm the really horny character, and it's just to like make that yeah. joke funnier and like i know. i always like when when they reference like fujoshi tropes for like why a girl like they they do that in bakemonogatari or not or the monogatari series too of just like oh well no i'm playing into this into this trope that you didn't realize yeah. and they're like oh oh i thought that that was just who you really were so that worked mm-hmm. for me and uh, yes. yukimura the girl who's been raised as a guy has like yeah. the voice actress has a really good delivery i feel like she just whispers all the time like this mm-hmm. <laughs> i was gonna ask <laughs> is there any other? Is it a, a, a proper high school harem anime, or are there actually any other male characters apart from the protag? Um, I is there a single other male character with a speaking role? There's the dads. He's got a friend, um, doesn't him. he? Doesn't he have a friend? Like not a friend, but like a guy who like knows him. Doesn't he? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely it's, a, it's definitely a harem where the guy is too chaste to sleep with the women, which is yeah. Unfortunately, like it's not even that rare for like dudes to be super chaste in high school anime. Like I feel like it's very the otaku virtues of like gynophobia and like sexlessness are very much in play here. Mm-hmm. So what's what's a what is a good version of this? Like this is a question I ask. <laughs> Funny you should ask. <laughs> oh no, you said the Manchurian Candidate activation phrase. <laughs> Yeah, so after I had like, like powered down Hog and I, and just like you know, with a grimace on my face the whole time, but enjoying it, uh, I watched Snafu. That's a uh, that's my teenage romantic comedy is all fucked up or all messed up, or whatever. Yeah, as I expected, or something to that as effect. Whatever. But yeah, if if you look up Snafu anime, that's what's going to come up. I in a lot of ways like Snafu hit. A lot of the things that I liked, like you know, the, the couple things that I liked in Hagenai, and a couple of the things I actually liked in Monogatari series as well, of the that you know this this loner character who is you know who has separated themselves from the people around them in an effort to sort of vindicate themselves for being a loner, and mm-hmm. the show is like 
Snafu is largely about that. Like, there's this kid who has basically, you know, he's built up this entire persona of being this total misanthrope. You know, he's, you know, he's he has this, you know, a cutting insight that he can sort of, you know, he can see all the venal, shallow reasons that people, like, you know, lean on each other. And he's just like, he's disgusted by all of this. And he, you know, he gets in trouble with his teacher for basically writing a, a an essay saying, you know, everybody is scum but me. I'm going to live my whole life alone. Everybody should go die. And he is like press ganged into joining, you know, you know, joining a club with another random girl, uh, the service club, who is, who is kind of a kind of mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's kind of mean, and you know they, you know they have this like lockerheads, you know, uh, relationship where you know her, you know, she is this, you know, seemingly you know almost perfect person who is, you know, she's very smart, she's very refined, she's very talented. Like her only flaw is that because she is so talented, she never has to stick to anything for long enough to build up any kind of physical stamina. So, you know, even though she's a genius tennis player, she can only play, you know, for half a game and then she's gassed and has to tap out. And that's one of the the punchlines for one of the episodes. Mm -hmm. But she is, you know, operating this, you know, one woman operation of like the service club. You know, she, you know, because she is so ostracized by people, but she, you know, she believes that it's her duty to lend her skills to the student body regardless, even though everybody hates her, uh, you know, and people, you know, will come to her and they will, so, you know, and they will solve people's problems. And that's sort of like the framing device for how this show works. And the, what I think the show works is because I don't know, I think that the characters are actually pretty well realized and it's it's one of those shows where it's it's taking a sort of like a nerd trope but it's not talking like an adult through these kids because for the most part the kids have you know an idea of like what they're doing like the the main character thinks that like like oh like you know I'm this you know I can I can see through everybody's motives and you know everything is bullshit and he has the very sort of like JD Salinger uh, catcher in the rye, like everybody's a phony, so everything is bullshit. Like mm-hmm. attitude, and the whole show is basically about like deconstructing that that instinct. But it doesn't do it by having these like kids who act like adults. Like that's one of the big sort of flaws in Monogatari is that you have like everything is so artificial and everything is so contrived and constructed, and everybody has you know everybody speaks like they are reciting these you know, philosophical texts texts and everything else. Whereas in this show, you have the idea that, you know, you get the sense that these kids sort of only have half the, like, like half, like half the information. Like, I think you've said, uh, Ben, that the show plays too subtle to really convey what these kids are intending and thinking. But I think what a lot of the show tries to hammer home is that these kids don't really have the experience to really understand the things that they think they understand. And a lot of the show is concerned with them sort of like unlearning this stuff and realizing that, yeah, you know, kind of similar to what I had said, you know, towards our, you know, 10 or 20 hours of Monogatari where (laughs) the, you know, the, the two big things of that show is you can't forget your past and you can't do it alone. And a lot of the, you know, similarly, this show is, you know, it's 
saying that, you know, it's okay that people sort of lean on each other, you know, they, you know, they, they form bonds for shallow reasons so that they have somebody to lean on when they need them. And it's like, yeah, that's just how friendship works. That's how society works. Like people need to be able to come together for reasons that like, you know, even if you could tell like, Oh, you're just like wanting somebody to be there for you in the future. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's why you want to make friends. Like that's the whole fucking point. Like just because you're smart enough to realize that doesn't mean you're exempt from those emotional needs, especially when you're in times of crisis. Yeah. That's something that I liked about, about Snafu. I just think that like they literally did the same thing that they had to do in high score girl where they introduce like siblings of the characters to tell you what they're thinking because you don't know yourself. Um, well, and, and, and I, I, I disagree that with that because part of the, the message of the show is that these characters have a talent for knowing what other people need without being able to direct that themselves. It's not that they're just being dishonest with themselves. It's that they just don't have that self-knowledge and that they yes. need these other characters to bounce things off of. And I think that's also like very, I think that's authentic. Like, I don't think, people have the ability to just like go into the woods and think about their own thoughts and come out of it like with perfect self-knowledge. Like, I think you have to bounce these things off of other people to, to get, to come to these kinds of epiphanies. And, you know, these characters being isolated is why they're in such a, a dire strait. And like they're, they're the teacher that, you know, press gangs, the main character, Hikiyama or Hikigama, Hikigaya. Yeah. Hikigaya. Hikigaya. Like she, you know, basically reveals that like, you know, oh, I was basically like you kids when I was a kid, but nobody did this for me. And now I'm this like lonely weirdo with a cool sports car, but like a bad life. And like, I don't want that for you. Yeah. I mean, I just like when like it it reminded me too much of bad TV writing, like when Hiki's like, why did I was going to call her Yozer, but that's not her name. <laughs> it's the uh, name of the other character. Uh, yeah. When when she's like, why are you going to do this? And this and the sister like literally parachutes in to be like, well, here's all this information you didn't know. And I'm like, I get what it. I I just it, I think it was too obscure for me. I mean, like, there's a point where verisimilitude begins to interfere with uh, the themes because like a perfectly verisimilitudinous uh, story is not really going to have very clear themes, and so. It was just at a, an uncanny valley point of writing for me. I am enormously happy that they're getting a third season. Yeah. Um, and they just released the uh, the omnibus Blu-ray edition that I'll probably rewatch at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, I, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm very glad that I didn't get into the show in like 2015 when it was first airing because like that would have been a real frustrating four year five years uh, waiting for a follow up because it is a hell of a, a frustrating cliffhanger to hand on. But also, like, I, I, I disagree because I, again, like, I'm speaking about a thing that we talked about not on mic, but you had said that the the cliffhanger comes out of nowhere, whereas I am of the opinion that I think that's the only place where it really could have gone, and I'm kind of gratified that it got there, and that they're not just introducing fake drama to like reset that clock, and I'm hoping they stick to those guns. We'll have to see. Yep. Because it might not just even the books be it, translated. <laughs> it might just be that they did not think they were going to thir- get a third season because that was the consensus, um, both with Haganai and with uh, Snafu. And so we'll see if they heightened the the conflict and climax at the end of the second season, or if they will go from that as a starting point. 
Because yeah, uh, I'm much more cynical than you, but that means I don't get to the, enjoy the the wonder of thinking Frank's is good for half for half a season. So, well, I think I, I thought, I thought, jokes I on mean, me. Yeah. <laughs> I no. To be fair, I thought it could be good for half the season. For, for more than, up until like the last like probably five or six episodes, I thought it was like you know maybe you know it's like I was like Homer Simpson watching his pig fly away. It's just a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. <laughs> And it crashed into the trad wife stuff, and it's like, oh, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we have any other shows? Duncan, I guess, like, are there any ones that we completely bulldozed over with digressions into Girls and Panzer and a bunch of harem anime <laughs> and Konosuba? Well, let's, we can talk, like, the, the, the we could have gone from um, uh, Girls and Panzer and its uh, fixation with military stuff to um, Legends of the Galactic Heroes, which has oh, a, that's good. A, yes. a deep and uh, abiding passion for the paraphernalia uh, surrounding uh, Prussia and uh, a sort of European aristocratic society and transposing that to a giant space empire, because why not? Um, yeah. And, like... Legend of the Galactic Heroes has been quietly one uh, a, a reliably good show for the past two, well, no, well, not consecutive seasons for its two airing seasons. It's obviously a new adaptation of a huge sa- saga of Ben. You'll be able to tell me how many. It's like two hundred plus episodes or something uh, 110 for the main series 48 for the spin-off and then four movies i believe yeah wow yep quite something um so a proper saga um and honestly i think given it the fact that it gives itself the licensed pace itself at a glacial rate is what makes it enjoyable because there's yes there are battles but you pretty much get a sense of how those battles are going to go before they happen because it's the logistics or it's the way the personalities are have developed and their interaction with their staff which causes victory or loss it's it's very rarely that someone pulls a maneuver out of their ass to suddenly spring victory from the jaws of defeat we're we're very much going to each battle pretty certain of who's going to win and part of that comes from the fact that they have like a protege on each side who who the the show makes abundantly clear is like no one can on the uh, uh one side can handle a the fight with Reinhardt's and, and come out victorious and no one on the other side can handle a, a fight with um, Yang and come out victorious. It's like mm-hmm. the only pe- people who is a the only person who is a, a good opponent for, for either of them is each other and the maybe what made and during the first season that's it, it's very much them coming to um, come into prominence from being uh, young upstarts to having these virtuoso victories and coming to prominence. The second season is they've had like their central conflict where Reinhardt has pretty much uh, wiped out most of the uh, the sort of USA proxy de- Democrat. Like 
yeah, I should I should say like the the two two uh, dueling philosophies here are a sort of fascistic, um, highly Aristotle. conservative, like a, yeah. like a basically like a Prussian nineteenth century Prussian military dictatorship yeah, sort of. Yeah, thing. it's like it's probably like what like the SS were supposed to be in the Thousand Year Reich of the, like the weird affected like middle ages sort of mentality of like lords and vassals and knights and so on and so forth and And it's it's that versus a democracy and like a lot of what the the, um, second season um, spends its time doing is saying like yeah democracies are good but they're actually also really messy sometimes the person who's the most popular in a a democracy is a complete and utter warmongering asshole who will uh, set his entire civilization on the course to war and then just peace out at the last moment and, and to avoid any culpability. And sometimes you'll get at um, this, and then we have the tension between uh, the military and civilian governments at a time of, of war. What happens when? Uh, what the military thinks they need to do to win the war uh, contrasts with what the civilian government can command a uh, a majority for and it's it's a nicely slow boiling um political think piece at times and i it's don't also... think it go on. Well, i was going to say it's also kind of interesting because the way it characterizes the two sides you have the very conservative very rigid empire and then you have the very sort of fluid and cynical uh alliance who are sort of like the america proxy and what makes reinhard and uh what's his name wang yang yang wen li yang wen li yeah yeah uh what makes them you know you know standouts in their respective uh societies is that you know reinhard is brash he's forward thinking he doesn't like the like the first episode you know features him being told by all of his admirals that you know you know we've faced this kind of battle before we need to retreat and you know going by all the history books you know this is an impossible win and reinhard says like well what if actually it's is possible and then he wins anyways <laughs> and everybody's like what and then on the on the flip side, you have Yang, who is an avid his, you know historical buff. Yeah, he's a history perfect. Yes. Whereas, yeah, whereas his uh, like all of the sort of like the civilians uh, and to a large degree the, the like the military brass are you know very you know they're they're grasping petty like people who like don't have a lot of respect for history they just you know they're just twisting whatever you know opportunistically twisting whatever is happening to try and like further their own short-term political gains and Mm -hmm. you know it's you know them you know they so these two characters contrast with their own societies but then are also sort of like perfect matches for them for each other yeah on the battlefield and so this it there's no real like, because they're they're both in their own stories, in their own sides, cast as being you know, you know, upstarts and underdogs, and so neither one of them is an obvious candidate for like you know who's going to win in the overall story, which makes the drama really effective in the yeah. wars. 
I mean, like, yeah, it's interesting the, the stuff you brought up about Yang then, which is that, like, he operates in a, uh, a society where, which still has that, that same thing, which, which anyone who's seen a couple of conflicts burst out within their own lifetime will recognize is that the next war will always be the clean one and the easy one. Yeah. And they, and that's very much how it, it is is sold to to the people and yang is very much like and history does not show that mm-hmm. yeah and i feel at least on on my end i feel that the author of the original novels that these are based on has a has uh probably an unusually low opinion of democracy's ability to wage war either in terms of keeping damage low or in terms of being able to effectively mobilize against a truly existential threat um, and I think that plays out in, in Yang Wenli, the person with, with the most heightened awareness of like historical forces, is always just like, this isn't going to work out how you think it is. But because he's not high enough in the hierarchy, he always gets sent to do the hard or impossible stuff. And if yeah. he succeeds, he vindicates the people that he personally thought were wrong. And so it's, a, it's yeah. a, the main character yeah. dynamic I think that he has is, is kind of being the Cassandra of a, a mm-hmm. late stage democracy committed to the forever war so yeah yeah like there's a there's a an arc in the uh in the first season where he takes this you know seemingly unconquerable space station uh through like some chicanery and you know they managed to take a million prisoners without losing a single man uh and then you know afterwards you know the the military brass is like oh well that was so easy we should just start invading and he starts thinking like well you know maybe i should have you know, lost, you know, maybe I should have made this look harder than it, than it ended up being because yeah. then they would have less of a, an appetite for uh, war. And it's like, you know, at what point does, you know, you know, how, you know, how does a military commander do the most good? You know, does he protect his own men or does he, you know, sacrifice his own men to prevent the civilians from wanting, you know, having a taste for more war in the future? And like, I don't, I don't know if the show does, you know, completely comes to term with grasping with that. Like I haven't completely mm. finished the second season yet, but it kind of seems like, cause like, you know, there's this, you know, a military coup, you know, fermenting and they want to get Yang in on their, on their plot. And I haven't, I haven't seen how that works out yet, but maybe you can shed light on that. And if they, if they do anything with that, or if that's just more, there's more I mean, tactics. Yeah. Happening. The, 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 the coup is resolved essentially through, propaganda rather than force like it's undermining the legitimacy of the coup and uh turning the the populace against it in in and more importantly turning its own um own command and troops against it like realizing that um you can't defeat that sort of thing by um just like exposing their hypocrisy and the way they've treated civilians and stuff it's by uh showing that fundamentally they on that uh, it's, it's it's so difficult to to describe um <laughs> no i i think you're absolutely right that that democracies are essentially ruled by media and propaganda and that like you can't control a democracy through 
like author- authoritarian hierarchical political control yeah. it's about it's about controlling information and all mm. the unfortunate but... implications yeah, yeah. But, the but, means. but but yeah but also it's sort of like you can't um you can't uh, make a coup crumble by telling the people committing it that they're wrong yeah that it's that by pointing out their hypocrisy and p- pointing out their slaughters what undermines them is um by showing them how the way they're playing what their actions are doing which are um undermining the country's own stability by actually saying okay you're saying you're doing this for national unity actually it's uh undermining our ability to fight this next war it's undermining uh uh it's wasting our own troops oops fighting our each other and that it's we're making the pragmatic arguments which your opponent needs to hear rather than what you think is right yeah yeah, it's, meeting it's, people where they are, even if where you think they are, is a is a morally or intellectually bankrupt position. It's it's, yeah. it's like like in contrast to um, the finale of Carol on Tuesday, where suddenly all the people who have been like swayed by an anti-immigration bandwagon are su- suddenly uh, find their their mind changed by the power of of, of songs which celebrate togetherness and and that's. It's that's not how. Unfortunately, that that doesn't work. You, there's no clean way of dealing with that sort of situation. In order to do it, you have to make morally dubious compromises with morally morally dubious people, mm. and some. And as much as that may irk you, as much as you may now be watching them for the moment they decide to betray your trust. Sometimes that's what it takes takes to stop something like that. Um, yeah, and that's uh, legit. And now no, we're, we're yeah yeah we're done now. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree. I I'm happy when I first started they're the remaking this. I felt like my first reaction was that uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes is such a such a superlative indulgence in terms of slow paced uh, like parlor room drama space opera that I was stunned that they would, you know, make it in this fast paced flash and era of, of, you know, CGI, whatever. Um, but I'm happy that it sounds like not only are they, they doing well to the spirit of the books, but they're actually emphasizing different things than the previous OVA, which is very good. And if you have 110 episodes of your life (laughs) free to watch it, plus 48, if you want to watch spiral labyrinth, the OVAs, um, like, I, I wish that I had the will to to watch this as well, but I think that I've watched all of the Legend of Galactic Heroes in my life, at least for the next decade with this. But it's good that like people can you now get on board. It's what people wanted with the new Berserk that kind of got derailed because the art was so bad. And this seems yeah. to... It's the art's not ha- bad here, I, hopefully. I, I'm not sure, sure if this is the, the right word, but it's quite a handsome anime. It's it's like yeah, very... it's it's production IG, so it has a it has a very like sort of workmanlike, clean aesthetic to it. That yeah. like mm-hmm. it, it it looks almost I and like and, and I will also say that I'm the the character designs are very good in that like 
for a show where everybody is wearing the same clothing, which <laughs> yeah. is usually very dangerous for an anime, <laughs> you can tell all the different characters. Like they don't, you don't have to like rely on like hair color to figure out who's who. Like mm, everybody has yeah. very distinct traits. Like it's just a very, it's a very like very competent show. Like it's not beautiful. It like sometimes it flirts with like like very like cool shots, like nice tableaus. But like for the most part, it's just like it's a very good looking show. I will say one thing I, I, I do love and also makes me laugh is that the 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 love of they have of lens flare in the, the intro where where <laughs> they're they're doing like this what they obviously think is a very cinematic intro, like introducing each of the characters in a dramatic cut where it sort of zooms in onto them, slowly turning to the camera and light catching their eye and, and like or in Yang's case, he's sitting in his, his chair and it's it's panning towards him and you get lens flare off his teacup. And I and I love the like the eighties power ballad like nothing's gonna yeah, stop it, it's us. Good. Yeah. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's 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 very has a it both it's both its intro and outro feel somewhat out of the out of the this era. They they obviously are harking back to the original and yeah, the the they are not full mullet, but they're they're not far off. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's good. I'm I I enjoy like every, it's it's one of those shows where I'm not like I'm not dying to watch the next episode, but I'm always glad that I did watch. Yeah, the, it's always well the last episode. Yeah. You know what else is welcome? End of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we had a good podcast. I think we, yeah. we talked about all of the shows and also kind of... Long podcast. Yes, had surprising connections. I thought this was going to be a short one. I always think that. I should change that <laughs> mentality. So, yes, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook at Keyframes Podcast. Uh, email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, I don't know. We uh, Tell a friend about any of these shows. Tell a friend that you want to go to the Konosuba movie with them and then apologize profusely throughout all of it and <laughs> afterwards at all the like weird, awful teens. <laughs> Don't tell a friend about Haganai. <laughs> <laughs> tell a friend about the good parts of Haganai. <laughs> okay, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.